Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gods and goddesses, to the Golden Age Gurus Podcast, your source for regenerative, entrepreneurial, and eco-friendly global solutions using ancient future strategies that focus on healing ourselves, our community, and the planet. Now, it is truly an honor to introduce your host, Baba John. Awo Falakum Fatumbi is a Babalao in the Ifa Orisha tradition, an Ifa scholar and theologian. He has over 30 years of experience in the Ifa Orisha tradition and has written over 20 books as well as numerous articles and publications exploring and expounding upon the tradition of Ifa and the Yoruba tradition. Alafia from the Piney Woods of East Texas, where I'm building essentially a Jedi Academy. What do I mean by that? I mean something that people can experience paleoscience. What is paleoscience? This is the wisdom of the ancestors. Today we're bringing in another Baba, David Wilson, who is an elder Ifa priest that I've learned a lot from. He has written a lot of good books and um you know we're going to get into some controversial topics like spiritual racism and uh, how to how to set up your smart village and um so if anything triggers you or anything just understand this is like inside into my life it's first time i've kind of shared or let people peek in but um you know it's time and it's time to spread the message and i am a human design splenic projector here to guide uh, how do I guide? I guide by getting info from people older than I am and then pointing you to that info because I'm a guide. So none of this is anything I'm pulling out of my keister. This is accumulated wisdom, you know, 5,000 plus years old, traditional uh, indigenous earth healing. So uh, it's needed now more than ever. And it's in my blood through my mother. So I'm going to bring in uh, Falakun, and uh, we are so blessed and honored to have him. And um, so without further delay, welcome to the show. This show is brought to you on Patreon, where creators are supported by their tribe, for the cost of a latte, you can support the show and my advocacy around fringe legal topics ranging from zero waste and Bitcoin to matters of spirit. I'm committed to serving mankind by providing thousands of years of ancestral wisdom. Learn from my gurus, join my network, and get exclusive content. We have a free tier so you don't have to worry about money, a support tier for just a few bucks, and an apprentice level for aspiring Jedi interested in my mystery school and nature-based ministry. We have a VIP business tier for CEOs who want their own wizard. Just remember, King Arthur had a Merlin and Queen Elizabeth had her John Dee. Historically, I've charged way more as a consultant, but while I wrap my last year of law school, 
I'm willing to help just to get this new platform going. You'll have access to me with the Voxer app and get access to the Advocacy Launchpad and Discord. Sponsorship is sold separate. If you're interested, message and visit patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash golden age gurus. Follow for free and support if you can. All right. All right. I want to welcome Baba Falukun to the show. Eva Baba. Uh, Baba's going to give us a prayer uh, to start to Egun ancestors, in other words. Uh, Baba, welcome. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, let's, uh, by way of. Uh, Preparation, the Yorba word Egun is a reference to all the ancestors in each person's family lineage. Uh, we honor them by saying, Egungun Kiki, Egungun, Egun Iku, Ron Ron Fe, Awokwa, Opoipwe, Odaso, Bofun Lewo, Egun Debi, Abafa, Tori, Nile, Egun Ashede. So what I said there was we welcome the mediums of the ancestors, the ancestors themselves, we uh, thank them for the blessing of what in Europe is called featherless flight, which is a synonym for astral travel. And we ask them to astral travel to bring uh, unconditional love from heaven to earth, uh, Ashe. So let's get started. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm ready. Have you ever heard of the book, The Richest Man in Babylon? If not, you can check it out in the bookstore. But it's a classic business book that reveals the key to personal wealth. And it's basically saving 10% every month. So the way I like to save is in gold and silver with Mint Builder. I've been using Mint Builder for years. I've created a system where my savings plan pays for itself by signing up people who want to save and start a silver bank account, which ships physical coin out every month based on their budget. The author of The Richest Man in Babylon says that magic number is 10% of your income. Now you can build your legacy with the best pricing on metal assets while helping the nonprofit Feed My Starving Children, which uses 90% of donations for food to stop malnutrition in over 100 countries around the world. Thank you for considering Milk Builder to build your wealth and feed hungry children. You can go to preciousmetaltrends.com forward slash 102026. Complete the form and claim your free silver bullion bar just for taking our short tour and brief survey. All right. Thank you for that prayer. Um, so I, I just wanted to uh, give some basics, Adipa, and uh, a little bit about yourself for the people that don't know you. You want me to uh, describe my background, Adipa, is what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. A little bit about yourself, um, <coughs> how you got into Aoife, and a little bit about the basics of Aoife and why you like it so much. Well, I, okay. Uh, I actually first got involved in Ifa around 1980, 
I did uh, early training with uh, Louisa Tisch and a man named John Turpin, who was, uh, I think, one of the first Americans to go to Africa and receive initiation in DFA. In those days, there was a general um, belief in the community and the diaspora that DFA and Arisha no longer existed in uh, Africa. That was back, if you can imagine this before the internet. And so John indicated to me that Ifa was alive and well in Africa. He also did divination for me, which led to me going to Africa for initiation in 1989. And not only did I find that <clears throat> the traditions were alive and well, but it was my perception <clears throat> that they knew a great deal that had been lost over the years in the middle crossing. And it was kind of exciting to the idea of reclaiming some of that information because they clearly had a coherent intact system that was very effective with regard to healing, problem solving, divination and elevating consciousness. To be honest, I was actually a bit surprised when I came back and started writing about it uh, there was and continues to be a lot of opposition to the idea that uh, Africans understand their own faith and the, their own spiritual tradition that they created. I find that idea <clears throat> to be a bit disingenuous, but, you know, people have their reasons for believing what they believe. But... Uh, um, one of the first things I noticed was that the um, <clears throat> traditional Yoruba method of teaching spiritual discipline called Ifa was for the 10-year-olds to teach the 8-year-olds, the 12-year-olds to teach the 10-year-olds. So um, I would say on my first three trips to Africa, because I was a beginner, I don't think I spoke to anybody that was more than 12 years old in terms of uh, training conversations. And from that dialogue with those children, I was able to write three books. So it really <clears throat> told me about the depth of um, their learning and understanding. It was a very humbling experience. About the fourth trip, I've been to traditional, I spent time in traditional Yoruba culture on six occasions in the last uh, 30 some odd years. And uh, on the fourth trip, the uh, young adults started to talk to me. And then I would say more recently, the adults and my peers. <clears throat> and so for me, it was just a way of uh, dealing with emotional issues that are largely ignored in uh, uh, Western culture and a way of expanding consciousness which is a topic that is all but totally ignored in Western culture and a way of really unlocking the doors to inspiration and imagination, which I believe is the point of life. Make sense? I say. So um, I also understand you to be, um, have a lineage in what is known as the dragon family. Mm -hmm. of uh 
um, Transylvania. Correct. Uh, I was initiated into the hereditary priesthood of the dragon uh, family um, known as Phineas. Phineas in uh, <clears throat> Hungarian means bringer of light. I mean, if you think about the name, it's almost identical to the word Elah. It certainly served a similar function in traditional uh, Transylvanian culture. And just as, you know, African spirituality is <clears throat> denigrated in the movies, uh, you know, obviously uh, <clears throat> Transylvanian spiritual uh, culture is denigrated as well. Dragon is a reference to the Anunnaki bloodline that infused with humans bloodline uh, back before the flood <clears throat> in Yorba excuse me, in, in Hungarian, dragon is Drakal, son of a dragon is Drakola. So the sons of the Nephilim are considered the royal families of uh, Eastern Europe, the dragon families. And the word vampire in, in Hungarian means uh, medium. It's not a, uh, it has nothing to do with biting people in the neck and sucking blood. It has to do with <clears throat> preserving an ancient uh, uh, dragon ritual for anointing the kings in which menstrual blood is mixed with uh, uh, crocodile fat. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when it's rubbed on the forehead, the crocodile fat takes the uh, menstrual blood to the pineal gland. Uh, menstrual blood is uh, rich in... Um, melatonin and serotonin, which secretes the uh, the hormones that allow for right brain, left brain integration, which then um, oh, it uh, creates an altered state of consciousness. And part of that altered state of consciousness, <clears throat> excuse me, is the ability to unlock the memories that are coded into DNA. When you see people that receive a transplants from someone they also report receiving the memory so that's normal so there's the the initiation i received was called shaddai in that uh initiation you uh unlock the door have you ever heard of the book the richest man in babylon if not you can check it out in the bookstore but it's a classic business book that reveals the key to personal wealth. And it's basically saving 10% every month. So the way I like to save is in gold and silver with Mint Builder. I've been using Mint Builder for years. I've created a system where my savings plan pays for itself by signing up people who want to save and start a silver bank account, which ships physical coin out every month based on their budget. The author of The Richest Man in Babylon says that magic number is 10% of your income. Now you can build your legacy with the best pricing on metal assets while helping the nonprofit Feed My Starving Children, which uses 90% of donations for food to stop malnutrition in over 100 countries around the world. Thank you for considering Milk Builder to build your wealth and feed hungry children. You can go to preciousmetaltrends.com forward slash 102026. Complete the form and claim your free silver bullion bar just for taking our short tour and brief survey. All right, we're back in business. 
Yeah, a little glitch there. I think I can pick up from where we left off. Uh, All right. I was, I was talking about the Anunnaki bloodline, uh, biblically known as the Nephilim. You know, this is that ancient history is hard to verify and sounds a little pretentious. But what I can say for sure is that I did have a traditional <clears throat> dragon initiation that unlocked uh, what I believe to be memories coded in the DNA. And it gave me access to a lot of information that um, contradicts the academic historical narrative. That I that initiation happened uh, almost 50 years ago now. And I can say over that time that slowly, uh, bit by bit, I've gotten real word confirmation that a lot of those uh, images that I perceived were accurate. There's been a big influx in what I would call alternative um, <clears throat> history in the past 10, 15 years. But the thing that was the most uh, maybe significant for me is <clears throat> in the, in the, uh, my Hungarian, one of my Hungarian ancestors, my grandfather actually told me to, uh, go to, uh, Africa to learn more about, uh, Hungarian spiritual practice, which was at the time for me, it was extremely odd. I mean, odd to the point where I didn't really tell anybody. Yeah. And then, uh, in 1989, some, you know, that had to have been. 15 years later, um, I uh, went to Africa and was initiated. And during the initiation in Ifa, they do divination that kind of um, gives you in broad detail <coughs> the um, guidelines for your priesthood and what you'll be doing. And the very first words of that divination, I can quote it exactly because it had a profound influence on my life. The Baba Araba uh, Adisani Awoyade said, uh, take an offering to the home of your grandfather and thank him for bringing you here. Nice. And over time, you know, I, I knew that my ancestors, uh, in association with what has come to be known as the Grail traditions, used to sit in a circle around a large rock above an underground waterway and say prayers into the rock that were then taken into the water and spread throughout the uh, countryside. Um, yeah. In Africa, on my, I think it was my second trip, they took me to Ile Ife to meet the Emeshe. Emeshe means messengers. And there's a group of 17 Awos who sit in a circle around a rock and they say prayers into the stone that is taken across the country in the underground waterway. Uh, exact same um, spiritual technology. The difference being that... Um, in Nigeria, they speak Yoruba, and in Hungary, they speak Hungarian. So other than that, it was virtually identical. And I would say, um, you know, the other thing that became clear over the years is that if you look at the, um, the um, let's say, spiritual historical record of, um, of Transylvania, that the Calderash language of the Hungarian people, which is the ancient language of 10,000 years ago, is the mother tongue of Sumerian, and that there's a history of an interaction between Sumeria and Egypt, and in fact, my I can trace my uh, ancient <coughs> ancestry back to Egypt, uh, and I believe that Egypt was one of the sources 
of the inspiration for the prophet Rumi, who created the Ifa in West Africa. So there's a link there that's not uh, easily available through the historical record, not uh, known to many people, but for me, it's a very real and compelling part of my ancestral story. So I embrace on some level in my older age, maybe even integrate both traditions. But um, initially I studied just uh, Ifa until I became very clear about what that looked like. And then I was able to start to see the similarities between that, <clears throat> excuse me, and what my ancestors did. So uh, for those who don't know, Awo means basically um mystery right it also it also is a synonym for diviner depending on the context so when you put the word awo in front of your name you're saying that you have sanctioned permission from within the tradition of ifa to do divination for people a lot right. of people in the diaspora use the word babalawo that's not that's a word's not used much in africa uh in, in africa they say there was one babalawo and his name was aromila it's considered arrogant to say Babalao because that uh, insinuates that you're a master diviner and an involved human being. And yeah, you may or may not be true, but uh, identifying yourself as that is definitely not considered humble. Yes, and uh, I think you've set a great example with the way that you've handled that uh, in your in your practice. So. Um, thanks for leading by example there. Well, you know, that's the only way we do lead. You know, Ifa teaches that role modeling is the mm, fundamental method of teaching. You know, I learned, I learned, uh, 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 really, I learned a great deal from the man who initiated me. Uh, when I first went to Africa, I was in my 40s, he was in his 90s. And everything I learned from him, just about, uh, was from watching how he behaved in the course of a day. I only had over, he's uh, transitioned now by A, but when I did know him and go over there, I think I only spoke to him twice in terms of training. I had, you know, normal daily conversations and interactions. But when I sat down, actually said, teach me this, that only happened twice. And the reason it only happened twice is he was like the big chief. It would be like a first-year med student asking a surgeon how to do brain surgery. You know, it just doesn't happen. So you kind of earn the right to be able to speak to the elders. And I was but blessed to have earned the right to speak to him a couple of times. Awesome. So, so I would like to uh, connect this to the words you've been um, using recently with your new uh, book and also the the last uh, group meeting we had in Facebook, but uh, I really like the the calling this stuff paleo science. Yes, I think it kind of puts it in perspective because we're here in the West and trying to communicate, you know, vast subjects to to <laughs> yeah, minds that yeah. program not to really get it somewhat so i think it's a good way to to communicate so so I, i'm probably gonna call this 
episode paleo science that, that's fine it is one of my um favorite subjects uh, let me first start by saying the term paleoscience was coined by uh, uh, a great re researcher named Joseph uh, Farrell. Uh, Joseph Farrell has a doctorate in patristics from Oxford. If you're not familiar with Oxford, there are no classes there. There's only a library. Mm. <clears throat> you go there, you pick a topic, you write your thesis, and then you defend it. That's how you get a PhD from Oxford. And to write a thesis, you need to footnote everything three times from three different sources. So he's really, really a classically trained researcher. And he has spent, he has two main topics. One is ancient Egypt. He uh, theorized and I believe proved that the pyramids at Giza were weapons that, that destroyed a planet that is now the asteroid belt. And, wow. and he showed all the scriptural references to back that up also the scientific data to back that up. And then he also showed how, as a result of that war, the women, what we would call the Iami of ancient Egypt, dismantled the pyramid so it couldn't be used as a weapon anymore. Uh, <clears throat> and so his other topic is the um, related to World War II, uh, according to Farrell, and I actually agree with him. You know, at the end of World War II, the German army... Um, did, uh, surrendered to the U.S., but the Nazi Party didn't. As a consequence of the failure of the Nazi Party to surrender to the West, they were they were able to keep uh, they were able to keep all the money they stole from uh, Europe. You know, particularly from Jews and uh, my people, the Gypsies in Europe. So the um, that money was used. <clears throat> to create uh, what I would call a um, hidden government, hidden glo global government, and the and the and the mechanism for creating that was uh, to um, use a company called IG Farben as a front for the Nazi agenda in the world. Uh, Nazi agenda was under. I mean, excuse me. Uh, IG Farben was under receivership. Uh, uh, after the war from the Nuremberg trials and about three years ago, they were allowed to uh, reestablish their original identity. They changed their name. It was a merger between Monsanto and Bayer Aspirin. Um, so IG Fobin and Bayer Aspirin were the two companies that um, built the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And now Bayer Ernstburn is telling us that we need to receive some of their medicine to stay safe. Sorry, I don't believe it, not even a little bit. And do not ask me to give money to a company that killed 25% of my people in the 40s. I'm just not going to do it. So, um, you know, this brings up interesting questions and interesting uh, points of view that I think... Um, the EFOD divination system is uniquely able to address. But the point that I'm making in a more, let's say, hopefully spiritual perspective is, and, and Farrell makes this point too really well. If you, if you want confirmation, read his books uh, on uh, Egypt. But uh, um, 
he makes the point that there was a global culture prior to the flood that was rooted in a level of sophisticated science that is far more mm, true and real than the science we learn in academia. And um, he um, makes the point that that science was coded into the religious language of virtually every spiritual tradition on earth. I mean, it, it's a yeah. remarkable how he points that out and, and proves that. But there, the, this, the science we're taught, uh, for the most part, in uh, the university is not the science of ancient uh, civilizations coded in the scripture. And I, there's, a, there's kind of an um, interesting way that I know that, which almost contradicts what I'm saying. But when I, was in four, when I was 14 years old, I was given a scholarship to attend Caltech. Caltech is probably the premier... Um, school and physics in the world. I'm sure the reason I was given the scholarship is that my grandfather and a guy named Albert Einstein helped start that school. And so um, the classes that I took were taught by a naval commander in naval intelligence. And the subject he taught was sacred geometry. Sacred geometry is the basis of paleoscience, and I've never seen that information presented academically outside of the uh, interaction I had, and it was brief. But um, as a result of the efforts I've made to unpack Ifa symbolism um, through the lens of science, you know, the, the, the research I was did was used to as research to write the movie Black Panther. Mm -hmm. I would argue that most, not all, but most of the science depicted in that film is real, true, historically accurate, and continues to flourish in Africa to this day, which is why there's such a genocidal effort to uh, really... <sighs> destroy the population of the planet. You know, um, Africa has the lowest rate of COVID-19 of any comp continent in the world. In Nigeria, which has, Nigeria is the largest country in the world, excuse me, in Africa. 28 million people. One out of four Africans lives in Nigeria. In Nigeria, they reported out of 280 million people, they reported 800 cases of COVID, which is lower than by a lot than the annual rate of, of flu. And uh, so the World Health Organization is demanding that Nigerians, all Nigerians, uh, uh, receive the medicine. There's a serious problem with that that is virtually unknown in the West, and it, it really... Uh, it's so far beyond shameful, I can barely talk about it. But the head of the World Health Organization is a man named Dr. Idris Mohammed. Dr. Idris, uh, excuse me, Tedris Mohammed. Uh, Dr. Mohammed uh, is not a physician, he's a pharmacist. He was the uh, Minister of Interior for the Sudan during their, uh, their uh, communist regime. Dr. Mohammed, 
led uh, a genocidal attack on his own people. He was charged with war crimes, killing over half a million Sudanese in a particular area so that he could rid the area of the population so the Chinese could use that area to drill for oil. Everybody in Africa knows who Dr. Muhammad is. They know him to be a war criminal. They know that they didn't stand trial at The Hague because the uh, uh, Rockefeller family uh, uh, intervened to make sure he didn't get tried and the Rockefeller family put him in charge of the World Health Organization. They did that by giving money to Bill Gates to buy the uh, World Health Organization. Bill Gates bought that with um, his partner at the time, a man named uh, Jeffrey Epstein. So um, these are not people that I trust with my uh, uh, physical health and certainly Africans are just beyond outraged over the involvement of Dr. Muhammad in the health uh, protocols for the continent. So I mean, yeah. you'd have to be an idiot not to see that as deliberate genocide. Uh, uh, and that's how Africans perceive it. And they're getting no support from anyone in the West. None. You know, uh, you know historically... We're going to have to answer to that at some point, and uh, I don't know what to say other than I'm not going to stand on the, the uh, side of the World Health Organization in that debate at all, ever. I say, hey, so um, I I learned uh, about IFA through my mother, who's Venezuelan. Obviously, the West African slave trade brought that to the Americas. And so, you know, I got um, into that through my blood. But, you know, I, I just want to speak a minute on the uh, elephant in the room, which is why why should people that have less melanin uh, be taken um, into this, uh, seriously, you know, like, like, uh, I read a little excerpt from Salami's Odu Ifa book and he nailed it on the head, but I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I thought you might. Yeah. Listen, there's lots of different ways to approach that question. I would say, uh, that the concern of people of color of white folks practicing African spirituality is that we will, um, uh, try and take it over and mold it in um, ways that don't reflect the original intention of the faith. I will say that's a legitimate concern. And I will say that for the most part, that's already been accomplished. Uh, uh, Ifan, the diaspora, is kind of a uh, mimic of uh, Catholic theology, which has absolutely nothing at all to do with traditional teachings of the prophet Arumia. So the appropriation of the culture has already occurred. The issue of um, multicultural involvement in the tradition has been settled by the Oni of Ile Ife. For those that don't know, the Oni of Ile Ife is the spiritual leader of Yoruba culture. Uh, he, he, he commented on that actually in specific reference to me. A number of people went to Africa and asked him to um, 
expel me from the tradition and the only said no the tradition was for everybody so whether you like it or not whether you agree with it or not whether people have been appropriate with the tradition or not the spiritual leader of the faith has made that judgment and uh, by tradition uh, he has that right and that's right there, there it is so you know having said that it's still it's still we still have a uh, moral obligation not to practice catholicism and call it ifa we we i believe that we have a moral obligation to practice ifa based on the uh, theoretical point of view or the theological point of view of the ancestors who created it and in fact the un under unesco has ruled on that they have said that the traditional ifa spiritual tradition is part of their protective program for cultural heritage and that to change that cultural heritage without sanction from the culture itself is actually an international crime and so um you know there's the issue of who can be involved and then there's the issue of how you practice the faith those are two different issues sweet that was that was good so one time uh we talked and um about my initiations were through um, the Neemarks. Yeah, let's not talk about lineages. We can talk about differences in a generic sense. Uh, what's your question? Well, well, you had connected my lineage to yours. I was just wondering. Um... Okay, so you want to have that conversation. All right, take a deep breath. It's taboo and traditional Ifa to criticize other Awos. Uh, so I won't do that. The um, people in your lineage studied with a man from Ode Ramo. Uh, and for reasons I'm not going to go into, the man who taught your lineage is not welcome in Ode Ramo. So there was a break in the lineages and uh, uh, they were significant and they reflected in a different uh, theological point of view, I believe. And uh, let me make that uh, issue a little more transparent. The person who um, taught your lineage was a Christian and taught Ifa through a Christian lens, which is certainly his right. I believe in religious freedom. Uh, it make, does not mean that we're necessarily doing the same things in the same way. Well, um, you know, I also went to uh, Fasola in West Africa, and and how does that line up with you, with Odi Ramo? Yes, listen, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to dismiss that, uh, but yes, I mean, uh, what's happening is, you know, in traditional Yoruba culture, you get initiated in the fa in the uh, in the place where you were born. Uh, uh, since then, the diaspora people are getting initiated from different families uh, for different reasons. Uh, it kind of is a break in the traditional way of doing things. Um, I actually did that. I received most of my initiations from Ode Ramo and a few of them from um, Ile Ife. It actually caused a great deal of tension in Africa. I didn't realize at the time um but you know we're trying to reclaim something that was severely uh 
attack during the middle crossing hello i mean you know it was a capital crime to speak african language during slavery it was a capital crime uh, to play the drums it was a capital crime to practice uh, traditional african forms of spirituality and by capital crime i mean if you got caught you were killed mm. and the 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 really the um if you look at it, the, the history of the United States was predicated on the notion that a white person could kill a person of color with no consequence at all, ever. And we're still adjudicating that issue in the courts. This idiot that killed people, uh, the teenage guy, I mean, the uh, country's going ballistic, the, yeah. especially the white people uh, that support his... Uh, right-wing uh, beliefs, they're afraid of losing the right to kill people of color without consequence. That's what this is about. This is uh, some uh, almost 200 years after the end of slavery, we're still adjudicating that issue. Come on. It's time to put our big boy pants on, look <laughs> the issue in the eye, and move forward, for goodness sakes. you know. And if you don't think that has a hugely negative effect, on the consciousness of people, uh, uh, the people of color in the United States, you need to get up early and drink a cup of coffee and look around and figure out what's going on in the world. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people um, are, are trying to figure out how to kind of return to the, to the, forest if you will I, I just got back from mexico and did a retreat called the human regeneration it was pretty cool and i think everybody really really liked it it's kind of a new business model um but you know what i noticed is is like i was i was like there was maybe like two fathers there you know like these people were all pretty young and um <clears throat> You know, like that, there's probably like a little bit of, of guidance needed also to the conversation of I'm hearing on um, various podcasts like Future Thinkers and um, people trying to use new tech to, to organize social systems. And, you know, they're calling it like a smart village. And so I'm like, and, and I, I kind of hear that they're not wanting to organize over gurus, which is great. And, um, but kind of almost anti-spiritual. And so I wonder how you can have a smart village without God and, and how young people can organize paleo science systems without the elders there to, to kind of steer it. You know, like, so So I'm in a position maybe to kind of influence some directions with some groups, and I just want to... Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to your question is, how can they... Your, your question is, how can they do it? My response is, they can't. 
This was set up deliberately to make sure people don't access paleo science, don't right. access their higher self, don't access the ability to communicate with spirit. I've seen, and, and I can tell you that the whole movement that you're describing is uh, funded by George Soros to make sure that they never access that information. And that you, you can see videos of... Um, uh, Bill Gates telling uh, officials at the CIA that he designed the uh, medicine for COVID to break the uh, link to the pineal gland so there's no right brain, left brain uh, 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 integration that can lead to communication with spirit or God. So this is, uh, and if I sound passionate about it, I've been watching the same happy horse poo-poo for the last 40 years. I was there at the beginning of the New Age movement, quote unquote, when the Rockefellers were giving out huge amounts of money for the shaman of the month. And, uh, you know, I, I felt at the time that I was, had as much to say as anybody, but I was never invited to anything by anyone ever. And the reason of that was, two reasons for that. One is that uh, I spoke about the importance of family in spiritual development. There is no one-on-one -on -one spiritual path that works. There never has been. There never will be. It's a communal process. If you don't integrate that, you're spinning around in circles and you're doing what I call spiritual mental masturbation. This is about integrating who you are and how you fit into the community with the community itself. So to do that without gurus, without elders, without teachers, without uh, access to ancestral information is impossible. And, uh, you know, I saw myself excluded from that conversation. I couldn't even have the conversation, you know. And the other thing that I did that was uh, terribly taboo is that I placed value on the wisdom of Africa. Now, when I'm speaking to um, what I would call multicultural groups, the white folks behave and don't say much, right? When I'm speaking about African spirituality. But when I try, and I don't even try anymore, when I try to speak about African spirituality to an all-white group, they have a fit. They don't want to hear it. They don't want me to speak. They don't want to listen. They don't want to contemplate it. They don't want to figure if there's any truth. They just want to denigrate me and let me know that uh, what I'm saying is not worthy of commentary on any level. So and until we start to address that level of spiritual racism and still be able to acknowledge that we all have a common African uh, ancestral mother, and that we all come through that lineage. Listen, that. Yeah, I mean, they, they have no problem admitting that Africa is the cradle of mankind. But I, I, I do I do feel that spiritual racism. I hadn't really put it into words, but I did I did notice while working with these younger people, you know, um, that I did feel a little bit of the that that you know I was like, wow, man, I feel. I feel like I'm black right now, you know, like, like, like you know, that, 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 um, and I don't know if that's the right way to describe the feeling of, of, uh, I just felt something, you know, that what could be described as, as spiritual racism, just ingrained in the, in the, in the system, because, you know, it's like more, it, it, it seems like, you know, the older the info and the more, um, uh, 
effective. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to cut you off there, John. It's, it's more obvious than that, and it's more insidious than that, all right? There's no way that a 20-year-old is going to tell me how to live my life. It's not going to happen if you start, if you're 20 years old and start to tell me what to do. Yeah. If I can restrain myself from slapping you, I'm definitely going to ignore you. You understand? So, yeah. But here, there's a deeper issue here, and that is we've been socially programmed and literally brainwashed to believe that if your car breaks down, you go to a mechanic because they're the experts, right? But yeah. if your life falls apart, anybody that tells you uh, how to live your life is the leader of an evil cult. You need to ignore them at all costs. And so the, the, the impetus to ignore guidance from an elder is uh, encouraged by the culture, but it's rooted in the failure to address the uh, epidemic uh, reality of sexual abuse. If you've been sexually abused as a child, you're not going to follow anybody's guidance ever because it's an issue of trust. Mm. That trust is violated as a child. You cannot trust an elder ever. And so you stay stuck, which is exactly what Bill Gates wants. You'll follow him and not an elder because he's telling you that uh, everything's okay and just take his pill and life will be good. Sorry, don't buy it. Don't believe it. Don't think it's true. Good luck uh, if you believe it. Wow. Well, that's why you're the Baba. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but I am 75 years old, so I've learned from a lot of mistakes. Believe me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I really appreciate it. I've learned more from you than I have from from most, for sure. And um, I really appreciate um, you. Every time I talk to you, I, I certainly um, benefit. And I've read many of the books, have many of the books. There's some I don't have. Uh, I do recommend those. Listen, and, you're, you're just, you're embarrassing me now. I mean, uh, uh, there's a difference between a guru and a cult leader. You understand? A guru, that's a Hindu language for a wise old person. And, you know, there are wise old people. That's not anything wrong with that. A cult leader uh, is defined theologically as somebody who centers a religious practice on his personal needs and not the needs of the community. Right. Cult, not so good. A guru could be good, uh, depends, you know. So we need to start to make those linguistic distinctions. A lot of spiritual words get confused or used uh, uh, inappropriately. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll tell you the, the one of the significant words that's misused is the issue of animal sacrifice. You know, oh, we can't do African spirituality because they sacrifice animals, and we all know that's bad. And all the garbage that comes out of people's mouths after that. We do not know, we do not practice sacrifice. That's a bad translation of the word ebo, which means make an offering. We mm -hmm. eat the food that we slaughter, as does everyone who eats meat. The meat has to go from the animal to the, to the, to the stove via killing the animal first. And so right. if you live in an agricultural uh, environment, like the Yorba people do, who live off the land, who raise their own domestic animals and have farms, you have to kill an animal in order to eat it. But when they kill the animal, they say prayers over it 
in English, we more commonly refer to that as kosher food. Now, you know, no one would think of uh, accusing a rabbi of uh, animal sacrifice, and thank God that they don't. But, you know, if you're African and kill an animal, all of a sudden you're a heathen, voodoo, uh, hexing, uh, witchcraft, uh, warmongering scumbucket you know so there's there's the there's a certain amount of prejudice attached to that especially when you consider the fact that the only religion i know that practices animal sacrifice meaning kill an animal and throw it away other than some forms of our faith but the traditional original meat faith it was all kosher food the only animal sacrificing religion i know is catholicism that kills a sheep uh, every easter to reinfuse the bread and the wine with the life, with the blood and the body of Jesus. So they're doing a magical ritual involving the transmutation of the divine soul. And, uh, and they're doing that by killing an animal and they don't eat it. They burn it and throw it away. All right. So, uh, you know, it's called black, black and red, red. If you want to complain about that, uh, animal sacrifice your first conversation needs to be with the pope well truer words have never been spoken there's other examples of that double standard but you know it's just we need words have meaning you know and, and you know you know in our faith you know Bible I say they're infallible and it's the word of God that they're speaking and you must do what they say that's a effort to mimic the uh, position of the Pope in the Catholic Church. There's nothing in our scripture that says that uh, ephah, divination, is the word of God. There's nothing that says that it's infallible. And there's nothing that says that we even are able as human beings to know the word of God. So to project that onto the faith is the first step in the process of changing uh, ephah from a religion to a cult. Well, you know, one of these certificates I got from uh, Africa says Osho cult on it. <laughs> That's, I yeah. they, they have a different use of English. And certainly not everybody that you see talk about Ifa from Africa on the Internet shares my belief. But I stand on the idea that the, that the things I'm saying are rooted in uh, scriptural references that... Uh, I think we need to consider paying attention to. There is well, a, there is a verse I can't remember it. I want to say it's irrite medji. I might be mistaken, but there is a verse that says it is taboo to claim to know the uh, intentions of God. It's a taboo. Don't do it. God is eternal. Human consciousness is uh, uh, transient. You know, it's uh, and so the. the the two never meet. Uh, the the uh, uh, so you know we do the best we can to figure out how to fix problems based on our observation of nature, based on our paleo science. I mean, be clear, the paleo science coded into Odu Ifa includes the description of how the pyramids were built. If you can't build me a pyramid, then you think that what I'm doing is nonsense. I have no interest in your opinion. It not only shows us how the pyramids were built, it shows us how to access free energy. It gives the details on how to practice alchemy. It was a real science. Academias do not want to admit this, but 90% of the gold on the statues in Egypt is man-made. It is not real gold. So they obviously knew how to make gold. 
and that process is traditionally known as alchemy. It's a real science, and the uh, methodology for alchemy is coded into the symbolic language of Ifa Oracle. Mm. As is uh, as is anti-gravitational. It meant that the ancient Africans, just like in the movie, uh, Wakanda, Black Panther, were able to uh, fly in anti-gravitational craft, I would say, to all parts of the creation. And in fact, now listen, I don't want to go into this because it makes me sound completely crazy, but there's uh, there's some... Uh, too late. Too, too late. late. Yeah, that, that horse is out of the barn yet. A lot of what's going on in the world today is the result of a conflict from two different groups of extraterrestrials. Uh, and I don't want to get into that too deeply because it's it's really hard to prove and hard to believe. And what if I'm wrong? But the, you know, I set up. All I'm going to say about that is I set up a metaphysical bookstore about a month ago, and a couple of days before the store opened, four ETs visited the store and took uh, the people that were there at the time on a little trip, and. Uh, explain things to them so you know my my saying what i'm saying is based on real first-hand experience yeah well i i I visited the store and can vouch um and heard the testimony yeah that's right you did yeah people yeah yeah, and saw the pictures we have we have photographs of the ufos along with uh, some significant missing missing time for the people that took the pictures yeah well you know a lot of um a lot uh, i've heard a lot of people talk about interterrestrial versus extraterrestrial but there's that and there's also interdimensional travel it all gets convoluted the interesting thing is you ever read much of the literature on uh, abductions uh no but i've watched a lot of uh um uh, tv <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i play one on tv uh, uh, an update here's the point i'm trying to make if you read the literature of first-hand accounts of abductions they will talk about seeing uh reptilian aliens they will talk about seeing uh grays the little short grays they yeah. will talk about seeing the tall white nordic et and when i say white i don't mean pink flesh color i mean white white like a white piece of paper and then uh they'll talk about uh um interdimensional beings that are just like balls of light and then they'll say and not only that i looked around and there was uncle fred you know so the the point being is that there's a um, interdimensional highway in which various uh people uh, various entities that populate the universe travel and co-mingle and that um, highway includes ancestors so as part of my ifa training they showed me how to and i'm not, i can't do it yet but they showed me how they uh resurrect the dead through by calling et to come and help with the funeral it's bizarre you know they have they have prayers that say et come help me with this and then virtually, you know, we were taught that uh, this is the reason why Ifa is under such attack 
We were taught that resurrection only happened once in the history of life on earth. And I'm telling you, based on my experience, that resurrection occurs every time an Awo passes away. Three days after they day, they sit up, they talk to the community, they give their last will and testament, and then they are laid to rest. Wow. You know, nobody wants that secret out of the bag. But, wow. uh, uh, you know, if you believe me or not, it doesn't mean it's not true if you don't believe me, you know. And, and so... There's things that uh, we need to look at that really influence the way we see the world that are based on deliberate manipulation and not necessarily the truth of the matter. Okay, so I, I, I kind of like for people that are still listening and, and don't have the, the picture, the the traditional way to think of Awo is kind of like a Padawan in Star Wars, so you got like Padawan is an Awo, a Baba right. is a Jedi, and then an Aluo is a master. So it's it's pretty much, uh, you know. Yeah, listen, I would uh, argue the last word, which is again misused in uh, traditionally uh, in, in the diaspora. Oluwo is a title given to men by women who give them permission to do uh, initiations. Okay. In the diaspora, people just wake up one morning and decide they're an Oluwo. Sorry, it doesn't work like that. Well, well, that's fine. The message I'm trying to get across is it's kind of a um, a Star Wars wizard. Yeah, listen, you know, actually, I've written a sequel to my book on Transylvania where I used the Star Wars movies as uh, a template for explaining things. Joseph Campbell, who wrote those books, was an astute... uh, uh, historian of uh, um, of uh, ancient cultures and mythology, and he uh, really nailed it. and And he helped Lucas write the Star Wars uh, movies based on uh, real mythology. Right, and you tied this to uh, you know ancient Egypt, which uh, you know the Jedi uh, were real, and it started you know, with a D. And so it's like D Jedi, Jedi, you know, the way it was spelt, but yes, listen, uh, uh, yes, he based almost everything in the movie on real history. He actually based it partly too on the, uh, history of Transylvania. The history of Transylvania was absolutely documented by Tolkien and the ringing trilogies. People think that's just made up stuff. No, he mm-hmm. took the, uh, history of Transylvania and uh, he morphed it a little bit into a good story, but the elements are there. In particular, uh, uh, in in particular, um, you know, the Ankhs were, you, you know, people talk about where's the hidden library of Egypt, where's the hidden library, you got to find that, we can't find that. Yeah. No, it's really obvious. It's right there in front of your eyes. The library is coded into the granite statues with a left foot facing forward. Usually those uh, statues also have uh, a man and a woman with a woman having her arms around the man. That represents gender equity in ancient uh, Egyptian spiritual traditions as in Ifa. If you hit those statues with an onk, you'll get a download of the information on the uh, resonance that they carry. In traditional Yorba culture, excuse me, in traditional Transylvanian culture, the Ankh was was similar, but it was a circular ring with a bar across the top. The people that had those, um, those instruments, let's call them, were called the Lords of the Rings. 
You know, the hereditary priesthood that I'm a part of is to teach the spiritual uh, technology of how to use those rings to recover uh, what's essentially database banks yeah. from the stones, uh, uh, statues around the world. You know, the information is all right there. We just need to access it. But for some reason, no one will teach you that. So you don't go there. So you don't learn that. So you don't represent a threat to the few who control the many. Okay. So, um, you know, I was reading your, your book on the Ori, which I uh, was really happy to see you parallel things to Gnosticism because I, I really resonate with, with that. And I kind of felt guilty, <laughs> like I was cheating on Aoife, you know, and, and so. No, no, listen, I was blessed to study with one of the few modern-day Gnostic uh, theologians. His name was Paul Tillich. He was also a uh, Lutheran, but he definitely wasn't a Catholic Christ Christian. Uh, uh, Tillich was an existentialist, meaning that he based his understanding of Scripture on what he could see around him in the real world, which is exactly what Ifa does. Gnostic means a direct connection to spirit, or to the light, a hello, it's the same as the word Ela. Gnosticism was declared a heresy by the Catholic Church in, uh, I think it was 500 AD, and yeah. all the Gnostic uh, texts were essentially uh, banned in Europe. My family, in, uh, when did they do that? About 600 years ago, during the Crusades, went to uh, Jerusalem and they recovered Gnostic texts from the caves underneath Solomon's temple. They brought those back. They had them translated. As a result, they set up a school called the School of Solomon, where they used those texts to teach sacred uh, um, geometry and also to teach uh, uh, alchemy and a number of other sacred sciences. And the, and the thing to know and understand is the Catholic Church had that data. They just kept it suppressed. So that the um, when when uh, my ancestors uh, formed a group called the Priory of Zion, which attempted to take over the Catholic Church, which was the only legal religion at the time. And they did that by building Gothic cathedrals on the great sacred power spots of Europe. And they also knew that you could uh, program consciousness through the use of resonance uh, in a little thing I like to call music. So the uh, the Bach chorales that are played along with the Gothic chanting that's done in, in Gothic cathedrals is mind control. It's mind conditioning. It's attempt to uh, deliver a message. And yeah. so um, that technology was taken over by the Nazis in the 1930s. And I'm embarrassed to say my family was part of all that. But uh, the truth is some of my ancestors uh, are trying to fight that. And, uh, you know, God bless them. Uh, uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, it's, a, it's a, an occult war going on right now, which has profound implications for the entire planet. Certainly. Certainly does. Um... Well, that's that's why we're talking. I mean, we gotta gotta do what we can to make steer it in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. and if you're interested in initiations, we can set that up. There's a rumor I might be coming to Texas 
uh, I I make them very very affordable. I don't know. Do you want me to say the price? Uh, uh, I'm, I I make it affordable because the tradition is uh, to initiate your children, which is taboo in the diaspora. So you don't charge your children a lot of money for their yeah. spiritual growth. So in that in that uh, light, I try to keep it as affordable as possible. Uh, you can contact me through the uh, Facebook group page. Most initiations are between ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. I charge two thousand. I'm not sure we can shave off much more from that and still make it viable. Uh, but uh, I'm flexible, and I also, if people, I don't charge twice for couples and. If you need to make payments, we can consider that as well. The next event where initiation will be valuable available is when it will be March at the end of March, third weekend of March. Uh, uh, doing initiations in Texas is uh, up to John. There might be a little different price because that's his family, his uh, his space, and his. Uh, ledger for expenses for doing it there so uh, uh okay roger that and if you contact him uh based on listening to the show make sure you say golden age gurus or baba john for um credit and discount <laughs> and um whatever um i put in the show notes that we decide yeah that's fine uh uh <clears throat> But I will say for sure is if you mention John, I'll put you on the head of the list of open slots. How's that? Huh? That that's awesome. I appreciate you, Baba. And I appreciate uh, you. Keep up the good work. I know I'm extremely controversial. I'm not trying to convince anybody about anything. I uh, share these ideas in the hopes that we can dialogue them. And even yeah. if you disagree, if we're able to have a civil conversation, we get to know each other better, which is yeah. the point of life. I'm not, you don't have to agree with me. We can still have a civil conversation. I'm finding it's less and less easy to have civil conversations among people with uh, different opinion. And I find that... Uh, very sad you know the the censorship around the epidemic is off the chart at this point the scientific method is to handle all criticisms to your theory if you're censoring those criticisms newsflash you're not doing science and to call what you're doing science is total nonsense it's ignorant and it's unprecedented the the essence of science is to be able to address coherently all forms of skepticism you know hopefully one day we'll figure out what the scientific method looks like and use it to further our health uh we're not there yet uh, yep yep all right well uh i'll let you get to your your next uh, uh listen, the bookstore has a big art opening tomorrow and i need to go set it up sorry to cut this short but we, we will talk again. Keep up the good work. Stay safe. All right. Thanks, Baba. Have a good one. You too. Great. Eva, Baba, Balakun. We appreciate you so much. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you, 
John Philip Niemark, who has returned to the ancestors. Thank you for your wisdom. You'll never be forgotten. And I know you mix some Christianity in with your Aoife, and, and that's okay, because you know what? This is Texas, and um, I'm going to do my best to honor my uh, Nigerian lineage and not cut and paste anything, but I do believe in Christ consciousness and, um, you know, Eva Christ consciousness. So um, anybody that wants to follow Fala Kuhn's Facebook page, it's uh, included in the show notes, Egbe Iwa Pele, a group of good character. His books are available online. I'm putting a link to my bookshop uh, with his books. Uh, that way we both get paid if you buy one and you'll support the show, which I'm bootstrapping by doing so. So, and support him by buying his books. I recommend Ricky, Awo, Ori, <coughs> uh, and um, Dafa. And uh, we'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, so, yeah, till next we meet, my loves. I appreciate you guys listening this much. And if you can like uh, the podcast, we're halfway to unlocking sponsorships so I can get this puppy monetized. And um, sorry about last the last show, uh, the sound cut off. So if you listen to that and the sound cut off and you're still listening, <laughs> I appreciate you. I don't know. It's just a fluke. But uh, yeah, so stay tuned and follow uh, our RSS feed to get notified when we release new episodes. So I got uh, some good guests coming in to spread their knowledge. And uh, I really appreciate your patronage. Have a beautiful week.